Love is best known, expressed, and received in person. Imagine if the son of a good father had run far from his family, dishonored his family's name, and now found himself, because of his actions, imprisoned and on the point of starvation. His internal state also mirrors his external situation. He's consumed by shame. He doesn't believe that he's able to be loved. He's at the point of despair. If that good father found out where his son was, he would want to go there. It wouldn't be enough for a good dad to send a letter saying, I love you, son. No, a father who loves his son, however wayward the son is, would want to go there and be there in person with his wayward son. What form would the personal love that the father would offer the son take? The good father would be there with the suffering son. And if it was possible, he would probably be willing even to pay the price of redemption for his son. Even to take his place to show the son how much he loves him. The only thing the father wants is the good of the son. And he's willing to part with that which is most precious to attain his good. Friends, love is best known. It's best expressed And it's best received in person. And how do we as human beings personally communicate love through our bodies? We know love best through our bodies. We express love through our bodies. And we receive love through our bodies. You can think about the fact that if you want to show someone you love them, you give them a hug or speak a kind word to them. Even a glance is done with the body and it can communicate so much. Now certainly we can act through intermediaries and we often do in our technological culture, but a letter or text message is not the same as being there. Despite all our technology, the interaction between people is very different when mediated via video or phone or even through another person than it is in person. We long for, in, for, for personal communication. Now friends, we are that wayward son. Humanity is wayward. There is something wrong and we cannot fix it on our own. We all know this. The long genealogy which we just read illustrates the sad story of humanity's plight. Among the members of the genealogy are, are some of the cruelest tyrants of the Old Testament. It should be noted that among its members are certainly some of the greatest figures of the Old Testament as well. Just a few examples of those. Abraham, who pleased God through faith. Ruth, who placed her faith in the God of Israel. David, the king, who is a man after God's own heart. Solomon, the king of peace and a man of great learning. But even these greatest ones have fatal flaws. Abraham, despite his faith, does not wait for God to act and becomes an adulterer. David is a murderer and adulterer. Likewise, Solomon, at the end of his life, did evil in the sight of the Lord as he became consumed with lust and power. So too it is also in our own experience. The genealogy is not just a story in the past, it's our story as well. We see evil actions around us, we experience evil in the world, and most frighteningly, sometimes we have participated in evil. This evil makes us miserable, we call it sin, and try as we might, we cannot escape it. Our external situation is like that of a prison, and internally also 
we are affected. Humanity has fallen from grace. We all, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, have lost our way, both collectively and individually, yet we hold out hope. We long to be free of evil. We dimly recall Eden, and we long for it. See, this was the the state that we celebrate today on the vigil of Christmas. So we wait for the Savior. But we know the rest of the story. God had no body. So how was humanity to know his continued love? How was humanity, how are we to respond to his love? Moved by our plight, God acts. He comes to save us. The radical claim of Christianity is that the word who spoke creation into being became a baby who could not speak a word to save us. In Jesus, God has a body. God becomes incarnate. He takes on flesh and blood, a human mind and a human will. In short, he assumes humanity to himself. He becomes like us in all things but sin. He's born of a woman and through his humanity, we get to meet divinity. When we look at the little baby in the manger, we see the face of God. The infant Jesus lying in the manger is God. When he smiles, God smiles. When he cries, God cries. When he grasps the finger of Mary or Joseph or a shepherd, it is God grasping the human hand. Why? Because like the father in the story I told at the beginning of the homily, the father, our father, desires nothing more than to bring us to salvation. He comes, Jesus, who is the reflection of the Father, light from light, God from God, true God from true God, to save us. We say it in the creed every time we come to Mass, to save us. This is why Jesus is named Jesus. God saves. He comes to free us from sin, to make us just by offering himself in sacrifice. Remember, he did not have to do this. He did not have to come. And even if he had come, he didn't have to come as an infant. And even if he had come as an infant, he didn't have to be born in a cave. And even if he had been born in a cave, he did not have to be laid in a manger. And even if he had been laid in a manger, he did not have to die on the cross. Remember, friends, God does not need you or me. He does not need us. There was no need on his part which moved him to come. And where there is no need, only love can exist. Love is willing the good of another as other. And what was sufficient for redemption in the heart of God was not sufficient for love. Jesus chooses to come in this way because it befits the dignity that gave us in the beginning. He teaches us to love him. He moves us to love him by coming as man, as an unspeaking infant in a humble cave with a manger for his bed, living a human life, like us in all things but sin, so that we can receive him. God comes to us in a way that we can receive him as a delightful, defenseless infant. See, friends, when we love the child Jesus, we love God. Through things visible, we're caught up into loving God who was invisible. And this is fundamental to Christianity. If we recognize it, it'll change our lives. On this night of the nativity, the defenseless love of God, his humility and his kindness come into view. 
He exposes himself to us in the heart of this world so that we can receive him. You see, there remains one necessary thing for our salvation. Remember the image. If the Son, despite the love of the Father, continues to reject his love, the Father, try as he might, cannot save him. We must accept the love of this child and respond in love if we are to be saved. Try as he might to provoke us to love him by coming as a delightful and defenseless baby, he will not force us to love him. God who created you without your permission will not save you without your consent. Brothers and sisters, if you have been far from the Lord, do not be afraid to let him love you today. Do not be afraid to receive the Christ child into your arms. Look upon him, and more importantly, let him look upon you with love. He comes for you. Let your heart be melted by his gaze, delight as he smiles upon you. Then let your heart respond with love. He takes nothing. He gives everything. O come, let us adore him.